All right, good morning, Randall Church. I'm glad to be here with you today. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Dan Davis. I am one of the pastors at Renewal Church, as Brian mentioned earlier, a church in North Tonawanda that was planted by this church about five or six years ago. If you're a guest today, I want to say welcome to you, and then I want to say why thank you to myself, uh, because I am a guest today. Uh, <laughs> but we do want to uh, make sure that uh, we welcome our guests here, don't we? Uh, the church is a place where people should be welcome, is it not? Should it, shouldn't it be true that the church should know more about welcoming people than any other place on earth? Because we have been welcomed into the family of God ourselves, and therefore we should know how to welcome others as well. That's much of what the book of Romans is about. We've been going through the book of Romans along with you over at Renewal Church. We've been doing the same verses on the same weeks. And here we land today in Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. If you want to go ahead and turn there uh, in your Bible, uh, you can meet me there. Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one in the pew back uh, just in front of you. You can ask your neighbor if you're not sure where Romans is, or you can look in the table of contents in the front. We're going to be in Romans chapter 4, verse 13 through 25. Let's go ahead and read it as we begin our morning. It says, it was not through, uh, through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith. So it may be by grace, it may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Pray with me. Lord God, we, as we approach your word today, give us understanding, give us faith, Lord, and give us praise for your name. 
As we come to understand what your scriptures are telling us, what your word says about who you are and about what you have done, Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts, that we would never be the same. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Many years ago, I, uh, many of you know that my wife and I served as missionaries in China for a couple of years. We were planting churches on college campuses, and what we used to do every summer is we would gather all of our leaders, and we would take them on kind of a, a beach retreat for a couple of days. We would take all of our leaders, and we would also take all the students who had become believers uh, over the past semester so that we could take them to the beach so that we could baptize them in the ocean. I'll never forget the second year that we were there. We were uh, gathered together one afternoon and uh, somebody was uh, teaching from the scriptures and they were talking about how God accepts people no matter where they have been, no matter what they have done by his grace through faith. And there was a girl in the back who uh, just started kind of making a lot of noise. I looked back and she was, she was sobbing and she ran out the room and she was, we heard her uh, kind of yelling something and we, could, we couldn't make sense of what it was. And one of our uh, other leaders went and followed her and, and was trying to figure out what was going on. And she, was, she just kept saying, no, he could never love me. He could never accept me. And, and, and the, girl, the, the, the girl leader was saying, no, you don't understand. It doesn't matter what you have done. God can love you and God can accept you by his grace. Now, we knew that this girl had formerly been a prostitute, and we figured that this was what it was all about. This was what was going on in her mind, and she looked at the other leader, and she said, you don't understand. I wasn't just a prostitute. I used to sell children into prostitution, and I'll never forget that was the first time that I, when I heard the story later, I had to step back and say, is this person worthy of God? Is this person, can God accept a person who would do something so terrible? I think what we find in the scriptures is that yes, he can. Yes, he can, because it's not by what we have done. It is not by what family we were born into. It is not by anything of our own. It is by God's grace through faith. That's what we've been seeing over the past uh, chapter, chapter and a half, ever since uh, halfway through chapter three, is that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Is it not? Have you heard that already uh, through the book of Romans? Y'all agree with me that is what we have been talking about, yes? Yes, okay, good. Just want to make sure you're, you're still out there. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And Paul has been uh, giving this exposition on faith, and he has been showing that it has always been this way. There really was no time in which anyone was accepted on the basis of the law. There is no time in which anyone was accepted by their works. He goes as far back as Abraham, starting at the beginning of chapter 4, to show that we are saved by grace 
through faith in Christ. And at the very end of the verses last week, in verses 11 and 12, Paul started getting at something else. Not only are we saved, not only are we justified, not only are we made right with God, not only are we given a righteous standing with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but we are brought into a family. We are brought into a family by this very same way. He said in verses, uh, well, I'll just read verse 12 from last week for you. He says, and he is also the father of the circumcised who, are not who not only are circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. If you grew up in the church, if you grew up in a kid's ministry, you probably have heard the song, Father Abraham. Anybody know that song, Father Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I'm not a singer. I am one of them, and so are you if you're Jewish. So let's, uh, is that not how it goes? Right? That's, no, as I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. It really is a song that has much good theology in it, maybe better theology than some of the other songs that are out there right now. But to say that we have come into a family, we're not just, giving a, we're not just given a standing, we are brought into a family. That's what I want us to see today, that all who have faith in Jesus are brought into a family. They are brought into the family of God, and they are brought into the promises of God. As Paul continues in his exposition on faith, I want us to see two truths about faith, and then I want to give you two uh, uh, big implications toward the end. The first truth about faith I want us to see today is that faith receives the promise of God. Faith receives the promise of God. Look at what he says in verse 13. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Faith receives the promise of God. In the beginning of chapter 4, we saw that the grace of God came to us as grace through faith, not by works. Later, he showed that it comes by grace through faith, not through circumcision or any kind of religious ritual. And today, he says it comes by grace through faith, not by law. It is not by law, but it is by faith that we receive God's grace. He says that faith receives the promise of God rather than the wrath of God. As he goes from verses 13 through verses 15, he explains that if we are looking for anything to come to us through our obedience to the law, then all that will come to us is the wrath of God. He spelled that out as, as long as he possibly could have, as clearly as he possibly could have in verses in chapter 118 through 320. In verse 320, he says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. 
But then he goes to spell out that we can be made right with God by grace through faith. Faith receives, he says, the promise of God rather than the wrath of God. Now we have to ask, what is this promise that Paul refers to? Wasn't he just talking about justification by faith, being made right with God? What is the promise that he is talking about? He tells you right there in verse 13. Speaking of Abraham, he says, uh, it was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. He says it is the promise that Abraham and his offspring would be heir of the world. He's already showed us that anyone who comes to God through faith are the offspring of Abraham. We are the true descendants of Abraham. And we are coming into Abraham's family, and thereby we are coming into the very family of God. You see, God's grace is much better. It's, it's much better than just having a righteous standing before God. Like that is a great thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying it doesn't end there. God doesn't just declare us righteous and then just kind of keep staring at us. He welcomes us in. He says that he would be heir of the world. Now, an heir is someone who inherits the property, the rank, or the legacy of a predecessor. Let me ask you something. Who owns the world? You can say it. God, right? God owns the world. To be an heir of the world is to be an heir of God. We're being brought into the very family of God. Abraham and his offspring are heirs of God. Paul is going to spell this out later in Romans. In Romans chapter 8, he's going to talk more about this. I won't get too deep into it there so we can finish our, our uh, passage uh, here. But his point is that we are going to become heirs or that we do become heirs of God, but it is not through the law that we become heirs of God. It is through the promise of God that we receive it. It is not by law, it is by faith. If it were by law, all we would inherit is the terrible wrath of God. But by grace, we receive justification, salvation, adoption into the family of God. Verse 16 sums all of this up quite nicely. He says in verse 16, therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, not, or in other words, not only to those who are Jewish, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. He says, therefore, the promise comes by faith. In other words, uh, you could put it as he said in verse 13, it is received by faith. God has foreordained that salvation, adoption would come through the means of faith. And he tells us why. First, he says, so that it may be by grace. So that it may be by grace. It's not by works. It's not by rituals. It's not by the law. That would mean that it depends on us. 
That would mean that it depends on what we could do. That means it depends on, on who we are. But instead, it comes by faith in order to depend on grace. Now, we have to understand the importance. It's so important to understand the roles of grace and the roles of faith because it's easy to get them confused. John Stott puts it this way. He says, God is gracious and salvation originates in his sheer grace alone. But in order that this may be so, our human response can only be faith. For grace gives and faith receives. You see, it is not our faith that gives us salvation. Our faith does not create our salvation. Our faith does not demand that God must accept us. God creates salvation. God gives salvation, and he gives it by grace alone. He has ordained that faith would be the means through which we receive his grace. Grace gives, faith receives, and therefore worship results. Worship results. He says that it must come by faith so that it may be by grace. But he also says in verse 16, so that it may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. That it is guaranteed. You see, if it was dependent on us, it would not be guaranteed. We could lose it. By the way, we would lose it. But instead, it comes by grace, and it is dependent on God. It will never be lost. First Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I don't know about you, but I am glad that it depends on God and it does not depend on me. That it depends on his grace and it does not depend on my works. If it depends on God's grace, then it depends on God's power. And church, that is good to know. That is good to know. It's kept for us. We don't have to worry about losing it but we can trust in God that he will keep it safe. And he says that it is guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. That is all who have faith in Jesus Christ. That is not just those who descended physically from Abraham, not just those who were Jewish, but God said that he would be the father of many nations. It was always God's plan that salvation would be for people all over the world. It was always God's plan that redemption would, would not just be for one nation, but it would be for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation all over the world. And so it brings us, you and me, into the people of God. It is by faith so that you and I may be brought in. It is by faith so that it could be a worldwide offer. And when we look at the book of Revelation, we see that there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation 
gathered around the throne for all of eternity, brought into the family of God. And they will be saying, not by what we have done, but by what he has done. And by, why, and by what he has done alone. Here's my question. Why does Paul spend so much time making sure that we understand that it's by faith, that it's by grace through faith in Christ? Like, why does he take so much time and he says, no, it's not by this, and it's not by this, and it's not by this, and it's not by this, but it is by this. Why does he do that? I think for two reasons. First of all, so that we will rightly see the glory of God in salvation so that we will rightly see the glory of God in salvation. When we see that our salvation is by God's grace alone and not by our merit, then we will see the greatness of our God. Like he said last week, we'll, we will receive it as a gift and not a wage. When you receive a wage, you lift yourself up, don't you? When somebody pays you for the work you have done, don't you say, yeah, you're right. Give me my money, right? I earned that money. And you lift yourself up and say, look at how hard I worked for my money, for my wage. And you belittle the giver. The giver just becomes some middleman. He just becomes the man who is standing between you and what you have earned. You never think about the middleman unless something goes wrong with the payment, right? That's the kind of attitude we have when it is a wage. But when it comes as a gift, our attitude changes, doesn't it? When we've done nothing ourselves to earn what we are given, when it is given as a gift, we don't lift up ourselves. We don't say, oh, I must be great. We say, oh, he must be great. Don't we do that when we receive a gift? I hope you do. I hope you stand back and you say, why, why thank you. You didn't have to do that for me. I, I, I don't even have anything for you. And that is exactly where God wants us to be, to see that his grace comes to us as a gift so that we will lift him up rather than lifting ourselves up. Paul spends so much time showing justification and the promise comes by grace through faith so that we will rightly see the glory of God, but also so that we will rightly see who belongs to the family of God. Church, do you welcome sinners into the family of God? Do you look at people and say, yeah, you might believe in Jesus, but I, I know about your past. I know about the things that you have done. You're not welcome here. I hope not. I hope not. If you do, that shows that you have no understanding of the grace of God. If you do, that shows that you have no understanding of what Paul is spelling out throughout the whole book of Romans. You have no understanding of what Jesus came to do. You have no understanding of the cross. But all people from any background, from any nation, from any skin color, from any economic status, from anywhere, are welcomed into the family of God by God's grace through faith. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ is welcomed into the family of God. That's what Paul is saying here. It's not by what we do. It's not by our background. It's not by any of that stuff. It's by believing on Jesus 
that we come into the people of God. That might change things for you as well. Do you think that you belong to the family of God because you are a good person? Do you think that you belong to the family of God because you show up every time the church doors are open? Paul says that is not what it means to be in the family of God. That is not the door to the family of God, but God's grace through faith is the door to the family of God. So why does Paul spend so much time on it? It's because Jesus has bought by his blood people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he wants to show them how to be brought into the family of God. He wants to make sure that your faith, your trust is resting in Jesus Christ alone. So that as we sang just a little while ago, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone faultless to stand before the throne. Faith receives the promise of God. But what is this faith that Paul refers to? He begins a little bit of a transition in verse 17 and shows us what this faith is in verses 17 through 25. What is the faith that Paul refers to? This is number two, the second truth I want to show you about faith. Faith trusts the God of the promise. Whereas faith receives the promise of God, faith trusts the God of the promise. When we say that we are justified, that we receive the promises of God by faith, I'm not talking about just some general faith. Oh, I, just, I just have faith. You know the old song, you gotta have faith. That's not how it works. It's not just a general faith. It is a faith in something. Here Paul uses Abraham as the exemplar of faith. Abraham's faith was not just wishful thinking, nor was it mere knowledge. It was trusting faith rooted in the faithfulness of God. Look at what he says in verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. It was in this God who Abraham believed. Our faith, first of all, must be in the one true God. Our faith must be in the one true God. It says that his faith was in, or or, or he says uh, at the end of 17 there, uh, I lost it. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gave the promise is the God in whom he believed. He did not have faith in the universe just working things out. He did not have faith in himself. He did not have faith in just some God. He had faith in the one true God. He had faith in the God of the promise. He had faith in the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not and calls things that are not as though they were, this translation says. God had created, the one true God had created all things out of nothing and he breathed life into the first man. This is the God 
who we believe. For Abraham, Paul will go on to say that God would give him life to the dead, uh, would give life to the dead through Abraham because Abraham was about 100 years old when he had a child. His body and his wife's body were as good as dead, and yet he was able to give life through them. And as he gave life through them, he called a nation, he called a people into being. We have to have faith that is rooted in the one true God. It can't just be a faith in anything, just some general, I just have faith. It must be faith in the God of the promise. Hey, can I tell you something? This is why good theology is important. This is why good theology is important. Did you know that everyone is a theologian? Did you know that you are a theologian? You might not be a very good one, but you are a theologian. Anything that you believe about God, we all have beliefs about God. Anything that you believe about God is your theology. An atheist is a theologian. He believes that God does not exist. That is a belief about God that is his theology. We are all theologians, but if we want to see the true God, if we want to be able to have a faith that can rest in the one true God, then we must know who this true God is. What you believe about God is going to change you. What you believe about God is going to change the steps that you take in life. What you believe about God is going to change the way that you view death. And therefore, it's going to change the way that you live life. We must have faith in the one true God. We must know who he is, but we also must trust in him. Abraham did not just have faith in the one true God. He did not just know who he was, but he also walked in hope in God's word. Look at what he says in verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. While faith is rooted in knowledge, it must be more than mere knowledge. There are a lot of people who know a lot of stuff about the one true God, but they don't trust in it. They trust in themselves. They trust in someone else. They, they trust in whatever they may trust in. Merely knowing facts about God and even liking those facts about God is not enough. We are called to trust in God. Abraham believed God to be faithful and therefore he believed and trusted in what God said. Do you trust in what God says today? Do you have faith that God is not only real, but that he is trustworthy? That he is not only real and trustworthy, but that he is good, that he will do what he says that he will do? Just as faith is not wishful thinking or wishful believing, neither is hope. It says that Abraham had his hope in God. Hope is walking in the kind of confidence that's as if the promise has already come true. It's walking in the kind of confidence that is as if the promise 
has already come true. Somebody once said that hope is faith falling forward. When we place our faith in the God who is, then we have a true hope in what he will do, that he will do all that he says he will do. Abraham walked in hope even when it was humanly impossible. Even when it was humanly impossible, he believed that God was able to do it. We also see in verses 19 through 20 that Abraham had his faith strengthened through testing. Look at verses 19 through 20 with me. It says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Throughout Abraham's life, God tested Abraham's faith, and thereby he strengthened it. Now, if you know the story of Abraham, you might know that Abraham did not always perfectly exercise his faith. He didn't always perfectly trust God in every situation, but in every situation, God tested his faith and he grew in it. The trajectory of his life was growing in faith as he came to know God more and more. And friends, it is true of us that we will not always perfectly exercise our faith in Jesus. But is your faith in him growing? Is that the trajectory of your life? As Abraham was tested, he learned and grew in his faith. True faith does not abandon God when it's tested, but true faith is strengthened by God when it is tested. It might not always be perfect. We're going to get it wrong in some situations, but true faith will learn from that and it will grow. And lastly, we see that faith, sorry, second to last, faith rests in God's ability and God's faithfulness. In verse 21, he says, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Faith rests in God's ability and his faithfulness. Our faith rests not in our own ability, but on God's ability. Now, you might say, you might look at that and say, you know what? I don't have the kind of faith that so-and-so has. I, I just, I look at this person and their faith is just so strong and I just, I feel like my faith is kind of weak right now. Well, as we see in the life of Abraham, and as I mentioned before, our faith grows throughout the trajectory of our life. As we place a, a little bit of faith in Jesus, he grows our faith as he shows us his faithfulness. But the good news is that the amount of your faith is not what saves you. It is the amount of God's grace that saves you. It is what Jesus fulfilled on the cross that saves you. Think of it this way. Later today, in just a couple of hours, I am going to be getting on a plane uh, to go down to New Orleans to visit family. When I get on that plane, I am putting my faith in the plane itself and in the pilot, right? Now, it is not my faith 
that gets me there. Whether I am in, have a little bit of faith in the plane and the, in the pilot, whether I'm really nervous, or whether I have a lot of faith in the plane and the pilot, and I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable, that doesn't matter. The plane is going to do what the plane is going to do. What matters is the ability of the plane and the pilot to get me there. As I am flying, my faith will grow in the plane, but my faith gets me on the plane. In the same way, it is God's grace that saves us, and it is the amount of his grace that saves us. Our faith brings us into his grace, but once we place our faith in him, he will grow it more and more as we see God's ability in his faithfulness. God will strengthen our faith as we walk in faith, but he is faithful no matter where we are right now. The last thing that we see, Paul moves from Abraham's faith to ours, and he shows us that faith must be in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verses 23 through 24, he says the words, it was counted, it was credited to him, were not written for him alone, but, for, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to our life, or to life for our justification. Our faith must be in Jesus Christ. Now, when he says, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. A lot of people ask, does that mean we just have to believe in God in general? We just have to believe in the Father? Doesn't that mean we don't have to believe in Jesus? No, it means we have to believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. If you do not believe in a God who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, then you do not believe in the one true God. Our faith is based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Further, we must not only believe in the fact of the resurrection, but we must trust in his death and resurrection. That's why he says in verse 25, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. To believe it to be true that Jesus was raised from the dead is not enough. We must believe that he was delivered up for our trespasses, for my trespasses, that he took my sin upon himself and that he has given me justification, that it is his righteousness, not my own, that I stand in. So if you believe that Jesus raised from the dead, but you are still trusting in your own works. You are still trusting in anything else. It is not enough. We believe that Jesus is the only one who takes away our sin and who can give us righteousness. Our faith, not just our knowledge, but our trusting and abiding faith must be in him and what he has done. Two implications real quick. First one, faith brings us to walk through life obediently. When we have this kind of faith in Jesus, it does not take away our obedience. Paul is not saying that faith replaces obedience. Paul is saying that faith is the root 
of our obedience. That's why in chapter 1, verse 5, he says that he is calling the nations to the obedience of faith. That we are not looking to obedience so that we will be saved, but that we are saved so that we will obey. Do you see the difference there? We are not brought in by our obedience. We are brought in for obedience, that we will be transformed and that we will go out and live out the glory of God. Implication number two verse was that faith brings us to walk through life obediently, but second, faith brings us to face death boldly. If we believe in the God who gives life to the dead, and we believe in the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and we trust in him, and he says that one day I will raise you from the dead to spend all of eternity with me, then we can face death boldly. Death is no longer the gateway to the end of things. It is the gateway to an even greater life spent in all eternity with him. It comes by God's grace, through faith in Christ. So will you trust in him? Will you trust in him and in him alone? Will you trust that he will give you the salvation that he has bought and the salvation that he has promised through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? All who have faith in Jesus are brought into the family of God and the promise of God. It is not by works, it is not by rituals, it is not by law, but it is by faith. Are you trusting in him today? I'm gonna call the band back up, we're gonna pray, and then we're gonna have a time of communion where we are going to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done through his body being broken, through his blood being spilled, giving us his righteousness, calling us into the family of God. Pray with me. God, we thank you that you are a gracious God, that none of this depends on ourselves, that none of this depends on who we are, none of this depends on what we have done, but it depends on who you are and what you have done. And you are faithful, and you have gone to the cross. You have died for our sins. You have been raised for our justification. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. God, help us to see your faithfulness, not our own. Help us to see your grace and help us to trust in it. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.